The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Today we're going to be looking at one of the most well-known passages in Scripture. It's where Christ is described in such a way that's unforgettable. Let me read you Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. And the word infant is paideia. It means a little child, an immature child. And he goes on, he says, yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy laden. Now that's quite a calling, isn't it? You have to be weary and heavy laden to be called by Jesus Christ. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's probably the best-known line in the whole section. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There's always going to be a host of people who want you to believe that they alone can reveal God to you. For example, Satan in the Garden of Eden after the fall He said to Adam and Eve something like this, God is lying to you because he doesn't want you to become all that you can really be. He wanted them to disobey God, and he told them what they needed to do to come to God. Then there's the self-righteous Pharisees who said, God demands righteousness, and we are here to tell you that your righteousness doesn't measure up. And then the arrogant atheists today who say, there is no God, and I hate him. (laughs) There is no God, but we hate him. Uh, And then the wicked uh, jihadists who are saying, our God hates everything about you, and we're going to behead you to prove it. But there's only one of whom the one true God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's Matthew 17, 5. In our text today, the beloved Son speaks to you and me with words that are full of grace and truth, and you will never receive a more generous and glorious invitation, no matter how long you live. In Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30, which I just read, Jesus speaks what are among the most tender and appealing words he ever uttered, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's his promise. That's his call. That's his invitation. Jesus addresses two invitations to us. He's preceded by two different statements about himself that explain why he can give such an invitation to you today. The first statement is this. God is revealed only in little children. Jesus actually prays, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and clever and reveal them to little children. And these little children, as I said, is the Greek word napios, which just means little children with childlike and humble in their approach, sincere and humble, seekers after the truth. From everybody else, God hides himself, but he reveals himself to little children who are innocent in their approach. After that, he says, don't, and he basically implies this, don't miss the point. 
He's not telling us to stop thinking or dumb down our faith. He's simply acknowledging the limitations of our human minds, that when we're seeking God, our mind flounders helplessly out of our depth because God is infinite and holy and we are finite and sinful. Our little minds, capable as they are of remarkable achievements in the empirical sciences, are lost when seeking God. If we proudly scrutinize and criticize God, we will never find him. It's not only sinful to treat God in that way, it is unproductive. If we see God in that way, we will never find him. But if we step down from our pedestal and humble ourselves before him, God reveals himself to those men, those people who, spiritually speaking, are little children. There may be someone who's listening to this right now who has never found God for this very reason. Perhaps you've been seeking him in the wrong spirit. God hides himself from the intellectual dilettantes, that is, dabblers in knowledge, but he reveals himself to those who are humble in seeking him. What's required? Not that we close our minds, but that we open them. It's not that we stifle our minds. It is that we humble them. In this statement, Jesus has just made two amazing claims. The first one is this. God hides himself from the intellectually clever, and secondly, he reveals himself to babies. The second statement he makes is, God is revealed only by Jesus Christ. Jesus explains it this way. He says, nobody knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Only Jesus knows God, so only he can make him known. That means, of course, that only Christ can make the Father fully and finally known. He is partially known in other ways. You can look at creation. You can look at the moral conscience of man the history of God's power in the world, and his providence at work. But nobody tells me his love for sinners or his plan to redeem and renew us except Jesus Christ. He is here because of us and for us. He is here to give us what we need, and he takes great delight in doing that, which is really surprising to us. In this first statement, Jesus has made these two amazing claims, that he hides himself from the intellectually clever, and he reveals himself to babies. The second statement he makes is, that God is revealed by Jesus Christ. Jesus explains it this way, nobody knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Only Jesus knows God, so only he can make him known. That means, of course, that only Christ can make the Father fully and finally known. He is partially known in other ways by these different things where he's revealed himself, but the ultimate way to know God is through Jesus Christ. The most Unnerving thing about Jesus of Nazareth is the quiet, unassuming, yet confident way in which he advanced his stupendous claims. There was no fanfare of trumpets, no boasting, no ostentation. His manner was altogether unaffected. Yet here he is, daring to call the Lord of heaven and earth Abba, which means Daddy, saying that he himself is the Father's only Son, stating that all things have been delivered to him by his Father. He is the heir of the whole universe, claiming that only he knew the Father and only the Father knew him. So the implication is that there exists between the Father and the Son a uniquely intimate and reciprocal relationship. They know one another perfectly. His claim is absolute and exclusive. No other religious teacher in history has ever dared to make it that God is revealed fully and finally only by Jesus Christ. I've been teaching the Bible for about 45 years. And I can tell you, I have tried my best to make him known, but I understand that only Jesus can make him known. And it's only making him known through personal relationship. 
And when we come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he is the one who makes the Father known to us. And then we have the first invitation in Mark 11, verse 28. He says, come unto me, all you who labor, that is labor to the point of exhaustion, and are heavy laden, you're weighed down. He says, all of you come to me that are in this state, those of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To whom is this invitation addressed? Well, it's addressed to you and me, fallen human beings in a fallen world. It's not complimentary. It likens us to oxen laden with a load that threatens to crush them. Jesus assumed that humankind is burdened. And you know what? I believe that diagnosis. I believe that's absolutely true. We are weighed down. We are crushed. With what are you heavy laden today? Are you heavy laden with anxieties or fears or temptations and responsibilities, loneliness, meaningless life? failure, sins, conscience bowed with guilt and shame, attacks from others. If these things are not part of your experience, you probably will never accept the invitation of Christ. It is the burdened he invites to come to him. Jesus said in another passage, those who are healthy don't need a doctor, but only those who are sick. We come to Christ by being absolutely truthful and humble, admitting that we need him. Nothing keeps people away from Jesus Christ more than our arrogance and unwillingness to acknowledge that we need him desperately. What does Jesus offer with his invitation to those who are burdened? He offers to replace their yoke, lift their burden, and give them rest and set them free. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. Now, you need to understand that the word yoke is referring to an implement of authority. It is what the disciple makers used to describe those who were being discipled by others, They were in their yoke so that they could learn. And so what he's talking about is submitting to the absolute authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the sin bearer and the burden bearer. If we come to him, he will lift our burden from us. This is the very essence of the Christian good news, the gospel. Almighty God loves us in spite of our sin and guilt and rebellion. He loves us and he came after us in Jesus Christ. He took our nature upon him, becoming a human being. He lived the perfect life of love. He had no sin of his own for which atonement was necessary. Then on the cross, he identified himself with our sin and guilt. In fact, he was made sin with our sins, and he made a curse instead of us. He received that. In that God-forsaken darkness on the cross, Jesus endured the condemnation that we deserve. Now on the grounds of his sin-bearing death, If we come to him, he will lift the burden and give us rest, full and free, forgiveness together with a new birth and a new beginning. John Bunyan eloquently expressed this truth in his allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. In one spot, he writes, he ran thus, he's talking about the key figure in this allegory. He says, he, that is this pilgrim, he says, he ran thus until he came to a place somewhat ascending. It was an uphill. And upon that place there stood a cross, and a little below he ran until he came to the place where he was to take hold of the cross. And so he did. And then there was a, at the bottom there was a sepulcher where the body of Jesus was buried. And he says, So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosened from off his back and began to tumble, and so continued to do so until it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in, and I saw it no more. He's describing the fact that what we were burdened down with was taken away from us, and it was completely set apart out of our sight. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a very merry heart, 
He has given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he stood still to look and to wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the, the sight of the cross and the sight by the death on the cross should thus ease his burden. So he looked and looked again, even until the springs that were in his head sent the waters coming. He, he began to weep profusely. Jesus invites us to come to him. Salvation is a gift, absolutely free, utterly undeserved, and there is no substitute for a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Some people try to make it complicated, becoming engrossed in the externals of religion. They come to church to be baptized. They come to the bishop to be confirmed, or they come to the pastor to seek his counsel. They come to everything and everybody except the one who invites them to come, and that is Jesus Christ. It's possible to come to all those other things and never come to Christ. Don't stumble over the simplicity of his invitation. And what he says when he says, come to me and I will give you rest. That's what it says in verse 29. The second invitation is God invites us to take his yoke upon us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, it says in verse 29. The Christian life is not just taking it and enjoying the rest. When we come to Christ, he first takes our yoke that was worn by us, and then he fits us with his yoke, and he he puts it on us. He not only lifts our burden, but he places his burden upon us instead. So many times I want the, the rest without the yoke. We want to lose our burden. We don't just want to gain Christ. Nevertheless, the two invitations of Jesus being together can never be separated. There's no liberty if you pick one but not the other. So what is this yoke of Jesus? Well, as I said, a yoke is a horizontal wooden bar laid on the necks of oxen. The Jews spoke of the yoke of Torah, the yoke of the law, because the Old Testament yoke is a symbol of submission to authority. So the person who had the yoke of the law meant that they submitted to the law. And after he said, take my yoke upon you, he explains by adding, and learn from me. That is, you come to be a learner from me. You come to look to me as the source of all of your learning. To take upon us the yoke of Christ is to enter his school, to become his disciple, to regard him not only as our Savior, but as our Lord and teacher, which includes submitting our minds and wills to his lordship, bringing every part of our life under his sovereign control. Does that sound hard? It really isn't. It's the way of liberation because the burden we lose when we come to Christ is heavy, but the burden we gain from Christ is is very light. What Jesus is inviting us to do is in coming to him and learning from him is to find the way of freedom. Jesus describes himself as a humble and gentle in heart. You have nothing to fear. He is patient. He is a gentle master, and he lays upon us a an easy yoke and a light burden if we will but come to him. So did you notice that although there are two invitations, the promise attached to the two invitations are exactly the same? If you come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So the way to find rest is to lose our burden at the cross and allow Christ to put his burden and his yoke upon us. The freedom is not found in disregarding the yoke of Christ. It's found in losing our own burden. It's not found in discarding his authority. It's an amazing truth that freedom is found under the yoke of Christ. This is one of the great paradoxes of the Christian life. Under his yoke, we find rest. In service, we find freedom. When we lose ourselves in loving, we find ourselves. When we die to our self-centeredness, we begin to live. One of the great paradoxes of the Christian life is that we find freedom by submitting ourselves to Christ's yoke. Your sins will weigh you down. 
we are told in Isaiah 1-4, Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. And then in 2 Timothy 3-6, For among them are those who enter households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. Legalists also want to interpret God to you, and it will weigh you down. Listen to this, Matthew 23. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. And then in Luke eleven forty six, he said, Woe to you lawyers. And what he's talking about there is not lawyers that go to court for you, but lawyers who are experts in the law, in the Mosaic law. They know the law very, very well. And he says, For you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear. You would not even touch the burdens with one of your little fingers. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, because they were playing around, they said, they saw the law, thou shalt not commit adultery. But they themselves broke that law in their own way. He says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, Being sinned against weighs you down, we're told in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In every case, the solution is the same. Come to me and take my yoke upon you. This is the appeal of Jesus, and he says that he is ready to give his yoke, to give himself and to give his yoke to all those who come to him and simply believe the truth that he takes great delight in saving us from our dilemma saving us from our trouble, saving us from what we have done and how we have seemed to have broken his law again. And yet he says, I take great delight in saving you from that. If you simply turn to me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That's what we do when we follow Jesus Christ. We come to grow in him. And so this is what he wants to happen. He wants to have the pleasure of saving you. He wants to have the pleasure of setting you free and giving you life and giving you his yoke, which is the perfect yoke, the yoke of submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ and finding the blessings so real and so deep and so lifelong. We are so grateful for it. Let me pray for you. Our Father, I want to come before you right now for all those who are listening, that this glorious, glorious invitation that Jesus has given us And he gives it to all those who are heavy, burdened, and laden down with things that are weighing them down. I pray, O God, that all those who have that load upon their back would come to him and receive not only forgiveness, but would receive him taking that load away and giving them his yoke so that they could learn from him and live under his authority, the Prince of Peace, the one who knows how to give us peace. Father, we pray you'd do that, and we pray that you would work deeply in our hearts so that we would hear your voice and hear your promise and hear your explanation of salvation. We are so thankful, Father, for what you've done for us and for what you are doing for us in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we ask this. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.